uh, God would move and, and work in their hearts. And one thing that he goes on in verse 10 and says, I want you to live pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Until the day of Christ. And, and um, with that, it's just this thing. And, and all over through Paul's talkings with his churches, and one thing when he talks to his churches, he's talking to his children. He's talking to family that, that he's, he's really saying. So many times he calls them children and says, I'm your father, and has this intimate relationship with them all. And, and a lot of times he points to, he actually gives direction. I want you to live holy, blameless. I want you to live um, judge-free. I want you to live righteous. Peter, in his letters, especially in Second Peter, issues the same things. I want you to live holy. Be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. Why? Because I'm coming back soon. And he has this whole idea that the reason that we need to live this way and live pure and blameless is because Christ is coming back which is really really neat and really really exciting and except some people get really really scared about the whole concept that Christ is coming back and and some people don't believe that the whole thing's going to happen see we've got a promise because Jesus rose from the dead we've got a promise that he's coming back because the angels appeared just after he, he, he rose from the dead and he, he went up into heaven. And after he went up into heaven, the angels rocked up and said, he's coming back the same way as you just saw him now. And so the very fact that we know he's ascended, we know he's coming back. And we've got that, that promise. And actually in scripture, there's five times as many promises about his return than there are about his first birth. Um, so in there. And so we have this whole, whole understanding. And so for the guys that were here this morning, you get to listen to a bit of this again and I'll try and change things up a bit but there's just an aspect of that which is vital to our understanding of the word vital to our drive of how we live right now um, because it, it's different and paul wrote to the thessalonians brothers and sisters we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death actually i want you to understand what happens when you die and i know some of you guys that's a little way off yet and i pray for all of us it's all a long way off and quite far off uh, for others. But the reality is we've all been affected by death. Death's affected us all at some point or another. Maybe I remember the first funeral I went to, I was 14, and um, there was a man who'd uh, spent a lot of time teaching me sort of, he was the, what, what did he call it? The euphonium in our church band. And for those that don't know a eupho, it's sort of like a trumpet that's been, extended and curved around and has the bell sticking upwards and, and you hold it like this and, and play it. But we spent a lot of time together. We went sailing and, and I remember what that was. But my first funeral that I did was actually my parents' funeral. And he was just an awesome man, a fantastic. If I look at my family, he was like the, the patriarch of the family and he was a farmer and I, I come from farming stock and I, I don't know why my arms are this skinny if I come from farming stock, but that's just the case it is. And um, I remember just uh, driving down the road a few days after he passed because mum um, and my uncle were both really emotional at the time and so I had to do a lot of the organising. And I just remember having a pullover on the side of the road and just weeping about five or six days after he passed as the emotion of that just hit. And here we have, it affects us so deeply. And here Paul says, I want you to actually understand what happened. Now when we preach, we talk about all the lovely stuff that happens here, but in Paul's heart, he wants us to actually think about what's, what's then. And then he um, goes on a few verses later. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of an archangel and the trumpet call. 
and the dead in Christ will rise first. So what will happen at that point is this is called the rapture. The dead in Christ will rise. So all that have died, that are part of the church, and, and what this means, anyone that's confessed with their mouth and believed with their heart, will rise with him. See, we don't actually get measured on, on what we do wrong. It's a, it's a very simple way to access heaven. It's not about weighing up how much good or bad we've done. It's whether we've got the ticket or not. And we get the ticket just by believing with our heart and confessing with our mouth. It's very simple. And, and so when Christ returns, the dead will rise, and then any that are still alive in the church will go up with them and meet him in the clouds and go at that point. This is really cool. I, I, I want to get one. Can we get a sticker on our car? I want to get one of these ones. Or maybe one of these shirts. You've got you to think. You've got to be generous at that day and when Jesus comes back. Yeah, like, if you come back, Lord, someone else can have my shirt because I don't have need of it anymore. And so we have this whole concept of God's grace and free entry into the kingdom. And then we have a couple of verses. Get bigger, please. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and be at home with the Lord. And like, oh, blah, 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 next verse. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, this is where we get these things. I don't know if you chat to people and... and and TV shows have this all the time, and they talk about good and bad and weighing up the good and bad. We need to stand and be judged and before it. That doesn't really sit with the ticket model. Having to stand before Christ and give, a, give an account for everything we do, it says in Romans 14, give an account for ourselves, it doesn't really fit with that ticket model of just getting in, the fact of being judged on it. We're either in or out. But here we have something that, can, that sort of, you know the Bible sometimes contradicts itself? that it feels like the Bible contradicts itself. See, God's like this juxtaposition. He, he marries grace and, and um, holiness together really well. Law and grace together, marries these things together. But here, he's not actually talking about the same thing as the rapture that day. If we're in the church, we get raptured up. But he's actually talking about the next event that goes on. You see, Jesus taught about hell and taught about the devil and showed us the fact of what actually happens, that we're going to be redeemed to eternity. And then God gave Paul actually the commission of extending out about what happens next after that. And he talks about these times when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, to get an idea of what that judgment seat meant, when Jesus was up on trial before Pilate, the seat that he stood on was the judgment seat, or it's called in Greek, the bema. Not the BMW car, but B-E-M-A, the Beamer seat. And, and so Pilate was standing up behind something like this, but it was a lot taller and, and, and up high. And he had all the authority in that time as Christ was brought before him. And he sort of says he either dies or he lives. It's almost like in Gladiator when they sit there and say, Who, what, what are you going to do? Thumbs up, thumbs down on him. But at that time, Pilate just washed his hands of it all. 
just washed his hands and said, no, on you guys, you guys choose. His blood's on you. And yet one day, Pilate's going to stand before the throne of Jesus. And you know, his Savior's going to be a bit more intimate with him than he was with Jesus that day. But we get this idea that from there, and in, in the Gospels, when they talk about the beamer and they talk about the, the judgment, they're talking about a law bench. They're talking about a place where someone can get punished for it. I've been to, in my role, I've had the privilege or the non-privilege of actually going to court with a few people, a few young guys that get themselves in trouble and, and um, being there with them. And I can tell you, every time I've been to court with someone, they've never walked out better off than what they started. It's amazing. They don't get this lotto ticket and, and or they don't go and get the, a present or a gift for, hey, congratulations, you're here today. It's not like going on a game show where they get a prize, but they walk out and most of the guys have walked out with a fine or some community service or have to meet up with the things. I've got an appointment in a couple of weeks' time meeting up with a, a young lad that broke in our house last year. And um, he, he didn't get a prize for breaking in my house. And that young lad got... Well, he, he might have he thought it was a prize, getting some time in a bed and some meals um, for a little while. But he actually did some time in, in custody because of, because of what he did there and, and because he wasn't willing to work with the system. So this concept of Bema, it, it really, I, when that's the picture we have. So after the rapture, what happens is we go up and we stand before the Bema of Christ. Now, if that's what it looks like, that really doesn't make much sense. Because if we're going into heaven, and all of a sudden, as soon as we get there, Jesus is starting to hand out punishment. Okay, here's 40 lashes for what you did. Now, nah, you're going to lose a leg because you didn't know how to walk. Like, you know, like what? How are we going to suffer loss? We're meant to be in heaven and eternity where Revelation says there's no weeping, no, no crying, no pain. But Paul, Paul didn't use that analogy when he used the beamer. The beamer, you know how in our... Our language, we use the same word for a lot of different things. Like, um, I don't know, I can't think of an example. I don't know if anyone's got one. Ball. Ball. The ball, or ball your eyes out. Or, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, lots of different things there. A ball, we've got lots of different ways, words that we use. Same thing the Greeks, they use bima for that. But they also use, Paul used it in a different context. See, Paul, as I mentioned this morning, he was an Aussie. I, I, I know most of you think that Paul was a Jew and a Greek, but a Roman citizen, but no, he was actually an Aussie because he liked sport. And I know if he was here with us at the moment, Wednesday night, he would have been standing right where, where um, Jeff is, right next to us, yelling at the screen, calling on the, the Queensland forwards to actually get up off the ground and get back and take a hit up. I don't know where they went in the game, but he would have been standing right next to us, yelling at the screen with a raspy voice at the end of it because we know Paul's a sport lover. Why do we know Paul's a sport lover? Because many times in Scripture, and in 1 Corinthians 9, he talks about, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, run the race with diligence. He uses all these sporting metaphors in his preaching. And so when we know that because of that, when he's talking about a beamer, the other type of beamer is actually this, a podium or a dais where rewards are handed out at the end of a race. 
So people that have come, and I, I've watched the Olympics many, many times. I, I love when the Winter Olympics are on. They usually aren't in our time zone. So I'm up at 3 a.m. watching ice hockey and, and slalom and all sorts of things. And I think Brent and I got some sad information last week. Like, we were planning the Commonwealth Games is here next year. I wanted to go to the lawn bowls. Apparently, the tickets are all gone. I just... I'm very sad by this fact. Actually, my brother-in-law, this is how I know Paul's an Aussie, my brother-in-law's an Aussie, he'll set his um, alarm clock for 2 a.m. to get up and watch lawn bowls. Um, it, it's just, that's intense. Anyone that sets their alarm clock to get up and watch sport, they're just crazy people. Um, oh, yeah, they're awesome. Anyway, so, that's, I don't know what I was, anyway, I was talking about this. So, the whole concept, when Paul talks about the very fact that we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we're going to be standing up here. And instead of punishment, he's going to be handing out medals and wreaths. And, and there's numbers on the front of this for those that are over there and can't see this. Number one. Just threw it away. And so we have this, this understanding that what's going to happen is we're going to be caught up in the clouds with Jesus. And then we're going to stand before him. And the Bible says that at that point, we're going to give an account. What are we going to give an account of? Well, one of the things Jesus said that we're going to give an account of is everything we say. Every word we say. Now, I'm someone that speaks before I think really well. I do it fantastically. I was amazed last Sunday... Um, for those that, that don't know, our car has had some, some issues um, recently. At the moment, it, it won't start. The starter motor's dead. I'm waiting on Australia Post to bring me my new starter motor. So hopefully tomorrow I, le- I lie under the car so that we can get the kids around rather than driving them around in a bus at the moment. And, and that'll, be, that'll be exciting. But last Sunday, I, was just, I, I showed Susie how to, how to get the starter motor working. And for those that don't have some mechanical knowledge, when a starter motor is sort of on its way out and the solenoid's dying, you just need to give it a tap on the end and it'll release the, the solenoid and the magnets and you'll be able to start your car. And so I, I told the church that she must have been doing something wrong because every time I start the car, it works fine. And I've got all these groans and, and, and disgusting looks at me. And so I'm someone that, that speaks all the time and, and says all these things. So this is, for me, this is an interesting thing. Is that what he's talking about? No, he's talking about, are we going to be using words that are causing pain and hurt to others? Or are we going to be encouraging and lifting up? Because the words we speak are going to be good. What we say, what we prophesy, what we declare over our lives and others, we're going to stand up and he's going to sit there and not punish us for the negative words, but he wants to lay wreaths on us for all the positive that we speak over people. The thing that's over and over over and over and over through his teaching. See, one of the things that, that um, in Matthew 25, Jesus tells a parable. He does that a lot. He likes telling stories. He tells a story of a, a, a guy that came back and um, essentially he had a team of investment bankers working for him. And so he went off on an overseas business trip and when he got back, he'd left his, his finances in the hands of, of these three executives within his investment banking team. And... They each had some different skills and experience. Now, he was training up one of them. You had, the, you had like the senior, the senior guy that was the executive there. Then you had his offsider 
And then you had this apprentice that was there that was just learning the trade, and he really wanted to raise up this apprentice. He was hoping a lot in him. So he left him a whole bunch of his money to invest. And when he got back, um, he spoke to the, the manager of the place. He's like, mate, you left me, you left me $10 million. That's, that's brilliant. I've turned it into 20 in the six months you're away. We've had really good returns at this point. Then the next guy he talks to, uh, he, he talks to the, the next guy down, the, the, senior ma- um, the senior person, the executive, and he's like, oh, you left me $5 million to invest. And, and um, I actually traded some property and got some people to flip some houses and, and, and stuff. And I've actually doubled your money as well. So here's $10 million back. And then he gets to this apprentice, and he, he's just excited because he's really keen to see how this thing works. And he gets to him and he's like, mate, I, I, I know you and I, I've watched these other guys work for so long and, and I've trusted them and, I, and I've learned a lot off them. But um, as I, so I, I just didn't want to lose your money, buddy. I was really worried about losing your money. So what I did, I, that million dollars you gave me, I pulled it out of the bank because can't trust the banks. They're like, they're like, you don't know if they're going to fall over. And, and I cut a hole in my mattress and I stuffed it in my mattress so your money's fine. But dude, since you've been gone, inflation's happened, gone up 2%. You've actually lost me money. We've actually gone backwards in our finance now because of you. And, and at that point, he, he kicks him out of his company. We're going to stand before Jesus. And he's going to ask us how we went with the skills, the abilities, and the calling that he placed on our life. people that's going to be a solemn day for some people that's going to be an exciting day how do we go with the gifts and the abilities are we using them to actually see people come to christ are we using them to actually bring the kingdom on earth are we using them to be a blessing to other people or are we using them for our own selfish gain or or protecting or scared in the fact of i just don't know what to do with everything that you've given me lord I, i don't know what to do and a whole bunch of people sit there and go you know what i'm just gonna if I just need a ticket to get in, if I just need a ticket to get in, I'm not going to even worry about living life. I'm just going to get in at the end and that's all good. They're going to miss out on this. See, Paul and Peter and Jesus told us about this because they want to encourage us. I spoke this morning when I was talking about this, about my boys and the fact that they, they love me. Even tonight when we were um, practicing and they were watching me hit the drums really poorly and um, they came up and they wanted to join in and so they came and gave me big cuddles and and hit the things and then gave me more cuddles around it and they they just my boys when they rocked up at church this morning they ran up and gave me a hug when they came out of kids church they ran up and gave me a hug they won't go to bed without hugging me i know my boys love me they, they just i don't know why i don't really understand it it is just amazing that my my, my kids love me i pray that it's going to keep that way um at all even as when they get teenagers and they have to rein in their behavior their friends their technology time but as much as they love me it didn't help them eat their vegetables it has not helped their affection for me has not empowered them to eat broccoli it has not helped them in that what did help them was ice cream. Ice cream was an amazing source to help them eat their broccoli. You eat your broccoli, you get this. And, and my boys love ice cream apparently more than me. Um, if you ask Joshy who he loves more, Batman or Daddy, 
Batman, Iron Man, Captain America, Hulk, anyone above daddy at that point. <laughs> Paw Patrol. Anyone that was here for the Mother's Day, Mother's Day videos, um, yeah, Batman got filmed. That's his name now, apparently. Batman got filmed. Actually, I'm working on this because our school, uh, what they do is they put down, the, when, they, when you start school, they ask the kids, what would you like to be called? And then they write that name on their roll and on their bag and everything like that. And I'm just like, oh, I want to play with this. I'm trying to teach Josh that his name's Batman at the moment. So that when he gets to prep, they go, what do you want to be called? Batman. No, what do you really want? Batman. And, and so I just want to see if they're actually going to write Batman on it. A game, it's a game that I'm going to be playing for the next year and a half to see how it pans out. But um, no, anyway, so it's this video that, that they put together and Josh hops on there. And he's meant to say about the things that he loves about mum. He says, I love Paul Patrol. I love them. Do you love mummy? I love Paul Patrol. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Anyway, he's a crack up. Anyway, so th- there's a thing that in, in our lives, the thing that should motivate us to follow Jesus and to live holy and live righteously and live blamelessly and live pure should be the fact that we love Jesus. And you know what? That's the best motivation. But God understands the fact as children, that's not all we need sometimes. Sometimes we need reward. And God has these five crowns, life, righteousness, joy, um, imperishable, There's another one in there. Glory. Um, crown stored up for us that he wants us to wear. And it's based on whether we see people come to Christ, how we follow our call, how we speak, that he just wants to pour out on us at that great day when we stand before him. So what happens is Jesus comes back. We go up in the clouds with him. We get to stand before this. How that happens, I don't know. Because there's going to be a lot of people needing to stand before him. And Jesus has a human body now, so he is in a finite space. Because of that, that's how he's choosing to operate. So that's going to be a long line of people. And how time works in that, I'm glad God has that sorted out. I don't have a clue about that. So that's going to happen. And then we're going to be in heaven for a time. Now, how the rest of the stuff works, the Bible's less clear about. Very clear on that happening. Very clear on the rapture. Then there's a period of perhaps 70 years where the devil has reign on the earth. And then we come back again. And then everyone else is going to be raised from the dead. See, the thing is, we don't know the exact timings because you can argue that there's a millennial reign of Christ after, a millennial reign of Christ before, or seven years of tribulation before, after, or in the middle, or 70 years of, of, a, of a demonic reign on earth in the middle, before, or after. And how these things all interact God's less clear with us on. What he is clear is that we're going to be caught up with him if we've chosen and believed. We're going to stand before and receive our rewards. We're going to be in heaven. Then we're coming back, and then everyone else on the earth will be raised from the dead. So there's going to be a period of time there. And then they're going to stand before Christ. And he's going to say at that point, either they've chosen him and overcome, or have chosen to live in eternity without him, which is one of the saddest things that could ever be. Paul said to them, said to a lot of the people, he said, you are going to be a crown of glory for me, to those that he wanted to come to. Now, 
always think about that day was the motivation Paul had. He just wanted to see them, see people come to Christ. Peter says that that day has been delayed because of the compassion and because of the, the love of God. That day hasn't happened yet because he just wants to see more people come to know him. He could have come back the next year after he, he ascended. He could have come back the next day. But because of his grace, he said, so that we could get to know him. And that the loved ones that, that we have that don't yet know him, the people in our neighborhood that don't yet know him. You know, God's got all manner of treasures stored up. It's going to be like Christmas. When Jesus first came, gifts were given. A whole bunch of gifts. And they were brought from kings to Jesus. When he next comes, he's turning that around. And it's our Christmas. It's like our birthday when we get there. And he's just storing that up. You know, I just wanted to, I've repeated that from this morning. Just because I, I've chatted with people over the last little while. And it just seems that this is one of those aspects that Paul, the writer of Hebrews, encourages that, that we should know and is a basic truth. The fact that we have a good God who wants to reward us. And when he's coming back, he's coming with a reward in his hand. Revelation 22 says that when Jesus comes, he's coming again and his reward is in his hand. We have a good God who wants to bless us. So we should look forward to that day with absolute joy, absolute excitement. But at the same time, as Paul wrote to the Philippians, it motivates us. I want to live pure and blameless, right? If I could stand up there and get something really cool from Jesus. Jesus gets to give me a jacket. Jesus gets to, I love to giving gifts to my boys. And I, I don't know what you guys do at Christmas or birthdays. I don't know what that looks like for you. But you know when you give a gift to someone, you just want to see them unwrap it. And you want to see the look on their face. And they, Jesus is just going to be blown away for ages as he's just handing out all these gifts to people. And just going, look what I got for you. So cool. But at the same time, there's just something really nice. Like, you know when you get surprised by someone and they get your present on your birthday and you're like, Let me give you a gift. Really nice. Let me just pray. Father, we're... Lord, I, I'm just blown away by that whole concept that you actually have stuff you want to give us. Um, it, it seems backwards. It seems so backwards that you would have gifts for us. I... More, more seems right that we should be giving to you. And so, Lord, we, um, we recognize that on this earth, Lord, that that's what we want to do. We just want to bless you. Father, thank you for the opportunity tonight that we just bless you and praise you and give you our hearts and our strength and our worship and our time and our attention in your word. We just ask more and more that we come alive, but help us to live pure and blameless. Help us to live with the hope of your return. Help us to speed it on and hope for it. Hope for its coming, that great day when we will meet with you face to face. Lord, Father, but in the midst of that, Lord, we recognize that there are many, many in our world and many in our sphere of influence in our, our area here, Lord, that, that don't yet know you and are not looking forward to that day with you. And so we ask for their souls and their lives. Lord, we ask that they would come to know you. Lord, we ask that we would be ones that would share that message and share that gospel and live that gospel and, and help people come into that revelation. 
Lord, we want to ask for words this week that will speak to them. We ask for miracles in our world this week that will interact on them. And we just give you praise and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Have you got something, Michael? Oh, I just want to give God some praise after after thinking about that. When's my birthday? When's my birthday? Soon. Coming, it's turning what? 16? Oh, that's very kind of you. 16? Yes. That's too kind of you. Saying I was turning 60. Anyway, let's just stand and worship. And if you need prayer for anything, why don't you just grab someone around you and um, let them pray with you? Or indicate that you need someone to pray and someone will pray with you. And let's just spend some time just blessing God and, and leaning.